0: Midwest Crime Files is a true crimes podcast. In it we discuss adult themes and go over the details of heinous crimes and how they were committed. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. This is Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Today's story brings us just south of Carbondale, Illinois, where a little boy suffered through enormous abuse with a tragic end when the system in place to protect him failed to do so. This is the story of The Boy in the Suitcase. Joseph Michael Duncan Williams was born on February 23, 1991 to Donna Duncan and James Williams. His parents were not together, but Joseph had a loving family that included his grandparents, a brother, two sisters, many aunts, uncles, and cousins. His mother, Donna Duncan, eventually met a man who would change Joseph's life. His name was Ernst Bruni. Mr. Bruni was born in 1971 and became Donna's live-in boyfriend. Together, the couple welcomed a baby girl in early 1999. Joseph was now eight years old and attending school. On May 10th of 1999, he was outside playing P.E., and like most eight-year-old boys, they get a little rough and wrestle around a little bit. And He thought maybe in the process of doing such, he had scratched his back. So he asked his teacher if she could look at his back and make sure he was okay. When the teacher lifted his shirt, she was in shock at what was there. This little boy had extensive bruising and welts that looked like they had been made by a belt. The teacher was shocked, to say the least, and how most of us would probably react if we saw a child with horrible injuries. She asked Joseph about it, but all he could do was cry. And the teacher later said that he begged her not to tell. And what he said was, quote, you can't. If you do, I'll get it again, over and over and over, end quote. That being said, teachers, like nurses, are mandatory reporters, They have to fulfill that legal obligation, and his teachers did exactly what they were supposed to do. They contacted the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, and a case was opened for Joseph. The caseworker that was given Joseph's case visited the family. During the initial visit, Donna told DCFS that her boyfriend, Mr. Bruni and herself had already discussed that the punishments that Joseph had been getting were too severe and they promised they wouldn't whip him anymore. The caseworker explained that whipping to the extent that Joseph was whipped is certainly child abuse and that it has to stop. The couple agreed, so the caseworker left. DCFS also has to perform background checks as part of their case. And um, what he, they found with Mr. Bruni was that there were no history of violent incidents. But that wasn't the case. He um, actually had a history of three violent incidents involving two very young family members and his ex-wife. It's unclear why the DCFS background check didn't reveal this information. What I could tell was maybe they just did an Illinois background check, and I think that maybe these infractions were in Missouri or a different state. So, seeming that he didn't have a history of abuse, even though he did, and that the parents promised not to do it anymore, the case kind of stopped.
0: Yeah, because, you know, parents always... Pro- like, And that's the thing I, I, I never did get with when I was reading this case, Oh, we'll, we promise we won't do it again. Though you have a repeated... Even if you take it out of the account of the past incidences, the amount of abuse that this little boy had at the hands of this man and this uh, his mother, just in this time frame, was enough to justify something else being done.
1: Right. And not to mention that there's an infant in this home. So if they're going to punish a little boy that severely... Can you imagine what they do when the baby doesn't stop crying? Right. Um, Donna continued to live with Mr. Bruni, Joseph, and her infant daughter. She was a licensed practical nurse, which kills me even more. I don't know how you can be a nurse and allow that to happen, but okay. Um, but what she found is that she made more money being a travel nurse than working at the local healthcare institutions in the area. So, she decided to go on a reassignment trip as a travel nurse to Florida, and in the fall of 1999, she went to Winter Haven, Florida, Florida, and she left her children in the care of Ernst Bruni. On the morning of September 28, 1999, Donna entered the police station in Winter Haven, Seeking help. She was afraid that her son had been beaten to death by her boyfriend. Authorities contacted the police in Vienna, Illinois, who did a welfare check on the boy. Waiting for news from Illinois, Donna sat down with the Florida police officers to hash out what was going on, get more information, and get a statement from her. What she said was, Her eight-year-old son was having a hard time following the rules and that her boyfriend disciplined her son several times a few nights ago. She further explained that her boyfriend told her that the boy had stopped eating. He had not been going to the bathroom in the bathroom, so they actually put a bucket in his bedroom, and that she could hear he was having a hard time breathing over the phone. Donna went on to explain that Mr. Bruni told her that her son had stopped breathing and that she instructed to him how to do CPR, but he said that it wasn't working and that they, you know, assuming the boy had died. And what she said next, it makes me want to barf, to be honest with you. She said, quote, I love both my son and my boyfriend an awful lot. And if I have lost my son, I don't want to lose my boyfriend to the criminal justice system. So we decided to place my son in a suitcase and maintain the body until I got back to Illinois and we could figure out how to dispose of the body, End quote.
0: Now that's just a shitty mother right well, there. Like I'm sorry if my boyf if my if my boyfriend if your boyfriend babe <laughs> yeah if my boyfriend just killed my son by because of beating him that, yeah, but yeah I want to make sure that you stay out of jail too like that's there has to like I don't there had to have been something wrong with the mother
1: like she was trying to justify it by saying I've already lost my son why do I have to lose somebody else so that tells me you're a narcissist right because you're only worried about how this affects you right. Um, oh, it's just awful. Officers eventually back in Illinois made it to the Duncan and Bruni home in Creel Springs at about 6 a.m. the morning of September 28th, 1999. When Bruni answered the door, the officers asked about the whereabouts of the children He explained that his infant daughter was sleeping in her crib and that his son's, or I'm sorry, his girlfriend's son was in Florida with his mother. The authorities insisted on coming in the house and when they came in, they knew something wasn't right by the scene. There were signs that the child had gotten sick. There was some vomitus on the floor and there were some blood stains on a few pillows There was a belt laying on the ground that also seemed to have some sort of blood or vomitus on it. And so that was collected for evidence. They asked Ernst about any trunks or suitcases, but he said he didn't have any. They searched the home. When they go into Joseph's room, it's just sad. There's a bucket full of urine and feces. But there's no toys. There's no...
0: There's nothing a normal Baseball kid.
1: cards. Like, yeah. nothing that an 8-year-old boy would...
0: Have I mean, in his room. It, they basically kept him in a cell.
1: It, it was just awful. Um, they kept searching the home, and eventually they go to the master bedroom, and when they look in the closet, well, what do you know? They found a suitcase. And when they opened it up, the investigators found the horrible truth. They found the deceased body of Joseph Michael Duncan Williams. It didn't take much more than that for Ernst Bruni to confess in what he called, quote, punishing, end quote, Joseph, for infractions such as not wiping himself well enough after he goes to the bathroom, lying, and stealing. I don't know an eight-year-old who doesn't do those things. You know, it's not uncommon at all for kids to have those kind of issues. Right. Um, You know, all kids lie, all kids steal. It takes all kids a little bit of time to learn their hygiene. Right. And he claimed that he was in constant contact with Donna while she was in Florida and that Donna was well aware of the punishments for the boy. And... He described whipping Joseph with a belt until his hips looked like ground hamburger. And those were Ernst Bruni's words. His hips looked like ground hamburger. At that point, the couple decided they needed to start keeping him home from school so that it wouldn't get reported to authorities that he was being abused. Ernst admitted to placing Joseph in a suitcase after the child had died. It's believed that Joseph probably died September 26th, meaning he had been in the suitcase for two days before authorities found him. The pathologist stated the only part of Joseph's body that was not bruised were the soles of his feet. He died of blunt force trauma injuries and soft tissue injuries. In Murders in the Heartland, by um, Henry Spiller, they talk a lot about the pathology reports and essentially what he died from was being hit so many times and have such extensive bruising that he kind of bled to death within bruises. Like, the amount of abuse it takes to die like that, it's just Well, when you
0: have the boyfriend state that i beat him until his hips look like ground hamburger i mean that's just a man that has no control Mm -mm. you know and was just so so frustrated and aggravated by whatever was going on that like he didn't he couldn't stop himself you know so just like you said to to die of basically internal bleeding but it's not internal like it's just bruising right like
1: he was bruised to death
0: I mean that's not something you ever hear of, no. and like they like they said when the only place that wasn't bruised was the bottoms of his feet. I'm sure that the da- like or like the boyfriend would have whipped him on his feet too if he had the chance.
1: It sounds like he was just Ernst Bruni's punching bag. Period. Right. You know I don't know. You know eight year old boys are mischievous and they get into trouble, but I certainly don't believe there was anything that this child could ever have possibly done to deserve even a minute amount of the abuse no, I that mean, he endured. And
0: we're in a generation where we grew up getting whipped. I don't
1: Absolutely. Know,
0: you know, and corporal punishment has its place, I believe. You know, like, I try not to, like, use corporal punishment unless it's something life-threatening. You know, if something is they're doing something that could cause harm to themselves or to others. Right. You know, because... And I'm not saying that I whip our kids, you know, but the threat of it is enough to pretty much negate any... Like, I'm not trying to just... And that's where this is going to get weird, because I'm not... If you... I understand people's stance against corporal punishment. Right. You know? But... I'm one of the I am an older generation, you know, like where I got whipped and it did, I'm you know, and that's the same mindset I have. I got whipped and it did good for me, you know.
1: Yeah, and it, there's a big difference between you know giving a kid a little spank on his butt with an open hand and beating him till he looks like raw hamburger.
0: Right, and you know, and people like with it's that control aspect. You know, I know that if I am going to use corporal punishment, it's one good, it's one good whip. Like one good spanking, and then it's done. It's not repeatedly until you know until I get tired. Which it seems like, Mr. Bruni, like he—that's how he would discipline him. It's not until the the kid was crying or was you know uh, no he was was saying sorry. It was until he felt that it was he was sorry.
1: Yeah, it kind of seems like maybe he just didn't want Joseph around. Period. That's my thought.
0: Well, and at the, at another thing is, like you said earlier, what would happen if their daughter grew up? Right. Like, would it have been any different... Like, would it have... <clears throat> sorry. Would it have been different if it was his own kid, child? My uh, honest opinion... Like, my opinion, I don't think there would have been a difference. I mean, I'm sorry. I think if he does it to, to the boy, he's going to do it to the girl. It might not be as severe but it might it, there i still see the potential for abuse to be there
1: absolutely because well once you're an abuser it's very hard to not be an abuser right you know once you put yourself in that situation and honestly once you're abused it's really hard not to be an abuser
0: did um donna ever was she did she ever say she was abused by
1: there was nothing in the research that found that But she goes out of her way to justify her boyfriend's actions repeatedly.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of a sign of abuse is whenever, oh, he did it because he loves me kind of thing.
1: So, obviously, they arrest Ernst Bruni. I mean, big surprise here, right? He's charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, aggravated battery of a child, and concealment of a homicidal death. Upon arriving back to Illinois, Donna Duncan's also arrested for the same charges because the police really believe that she knew everything was happening and did absolutely nothing to protect her son. In July of 2000, Mr. Bruni pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. He was sent to Menard Correctional Center in Chester to serve his time, and he's still there today. Thank God. So... His case is pretty open and shut. Donna's was not. It even got more complicated because even though in questioning he said that Donna knew everything that was going on, he really didn't cooperate with the prosecution. And when she went to trial in 2001, he did take the stand. He kind of tried to shift blame away from Donna, but then he would also kind of contradict himself. So his testimony was just kind of all over the place. He really wasn't a very good witness. So also at her trial were the teachers who discovered his injuries in May of 1999 and the DCFS worker and investigator who had Joseph's case. And it became pretty evident that there was a history of abuse. But the defense claimed that the May 1999 issue was the only other incident of abuse that Joseph suffered.
0: You know, because DCFS doesn't have record of them going out. The teachers don't have you know records of.
1: Well, and DCFS didn't follow up. I mean, it's just that simple. They should have followed up.
0: Yeah, and that's well, we'll get to that in the
1: you know post story. But also testifying were Donna's supervisor while she was in Winter Haven, Florida, and this is probably what kind of put the nails in her coffin. Because while she was in Winter Haven, she was actually staying with her supervisor. And her supervisor testified that she was on the phone about every three hours with Mr. Bernie. And she also told her supervisor that her son was getting in a lot of trouble and that he was, quote, getting his butt lifted, end quote. Um, she indicated that Donna told Bruni that, or I'm sorry, she indicated that Donna told her that Bruni whipped the boy first thing in the morning and before bed every day because he knew the boy would be bad during the day.
0: That's when you know that he was just, hurts uh punching bag.
1: Right. I mean, you're just beating him because you think he might do something wrong. Right. Like, what the hell is that? Donna Duncan was found guilty of murder. She was sentenced to 22 years in prison and was sent to Dwight Correctional Center. Her daughter, with Ernst Bruni, was put into foster care. But her appeals were pretty successful, and the courts actually overturned Donna's murder conviction in 2004. Um, But she still had her aggravated battery and concealment convictions. And I was trying to read about why they overturned it, and from what I can tell, she was never retried. Um, What I'm understanding is that because her culpability is because she knows and didn't do anything to stop it, she was already charged with that, with the aggravated battery and the concealment, and that because those were part of another felony, they couldn't be used to get a conviction for murder. It's a little confusing.
0: That it's, it's very confusing. It's
1: a little confusing. But basically, the gist from what I was getting from it is because she was charged with an aggravated battery, that's what she knew about. That's what she failed to prevent. They couldn't also charge her with murder um, because of the culpability rule. If she was physically the one who did it, of course they could. But because she was not even in the same state.
0: But it's one of those things kind of get off the topic or onto a different subject you see all the time where you have somebody that's like committing a robbery Mm -hmm. and somebody gets shot and killed and then they try not just the people robbing them like it was a a story here recently where the girl got tried for first degree murder because her friends went like invaded a house they both died and she got felony murder felony murder charges so why can't that same kind of rule apply here? I mean, she's not di- the one directly like that caused any of this, but her knowing of the situation and keeping in that situation was the thing that caused him to die.
1: Right. I mean, she should have known better than to even leave him with her boyfriend. Like, really?
0: But, I, and that's what, and this is where the whole, like, I believe there's a miscarriage of justice.
1: Oh, there's definitely, she spent like like two years in jail and now she, as far as I know, walks free.
0: Right, you know, and I just don't get how everyone failed in this situation. You know, good on the teacher, you know, like as somebody, as a mandated reporter, good on you for recognizing the signs of abuse and doing your damn job. I wish more people would do that.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: damn it, DCFS, you failed so hard on this.
1: Well, and they came under fire for it. Um, That, along with a couple of other deaths in Southern Illinois um, of children that had previous DCFS reports, they really came under fire and the agency faced harsh criticism. And there's a quote actually from Joseph's grandmother, Karen. Chris, do you want to read that quote?
0: Uh, Quote, when these workers did not do their job, my grandson died. End quote.
1: Joseph's grandmother fought for changes within DCFS. She wanted that to be Joseph's legacy, that if her grandson was gone, at least there would be something positive that would come out of it. So she fought, and there were some changes made as a result of Joseph Duncan's death. And some of those changes include ongoing monitoring was increased. Increased in education for mandated reporters on recognizing abuse. So not only teachers, but hospitals, doctors, nurses, anybody that has contact with children, daycare workers. And apparently, before this happened, um, if DCFS was called and the parents were like, no, we're not cooperating, there's nothing they could do about it. Case closed. So this eliminated that parent's right to simply refuse to be involved in DCFS, which is insane that that was ever allowed to begin with.
0: Like, I get people wanting to refuse right, like refuse things, like when it comes to like authority and everything. When it comes to a kid, like somebody that doesn't have the voice to speak for themselves, like a kid or... An elderly adult. There's no way in hell that there should have been ever a re, like a way for them to be like, "No, we're good." Right. No, we're it's fine in here. No, you're not coming in to check, but we're fine.
1: It's insane. Joseph Duncan was failed by his mother, who allowed her boyfriend to repeatedly, violently abuse him. He was failed by DCFS, which we recognize now is a common theme in the state of Illinois. And yeah, they've made some changes, but it's an ongoing problem right. um, with DCFS. There's articles about it all the time. Um, Joseph Kate, Joseph's case though, brings awareness to the importance of recognition and intervention in child abuse cases. You know, no longer is it okay to just mind your business and let people parent their kids the way they want.
0: Right?
1: You know, it's one thing, the way somebody wants to parent but it's quite a different when they're abusing a child if you know or suspect that a child is being abused call the national child abuse hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD 1-800-422-4453 this has been a super special bonus episode we hope you guys enjoyed it and Um, If you want more details and the list of references for this case, please visit www.themidwestcrimefiles.com.
0: All right, stay tuned for your normal Wednesday episode.